0: Well, good, morning. good morning. It's great to be with you again today. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, and you can flip to Daniel chapter 3. Our text this morning will be Daniel chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, it would be uh, helpful for you to grab one of the Black Pew Bibles in the rack in front of you. You can find our text this morning on page 739. 739 of that Black Pew Bible. Last time we looked at the book of Daniel, uh, we saw this kind of two-part story of Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Uh, we learned from that story that all the kingdoms of the earth will eventually crumble and fall, and that only God's kingdom will remain forever. That God is at work setting up his eternal rule through his eternal king, who we know as Jesus. And this week, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story. A story, if you grew up in church or if you grew up in Sunday school, you have probably heard this story many, many times. This story is about three men men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their Hebrew names, as they've already been told us from Daniel chapter 1, Hananiah. Mishael, and Azariah. We learn of these three men and of their boldness of faith and the trials and tribulations that they endure because of their faith. And before we read the story together, I want to remind us very quickly of the main idea and the main purpose for which Daniel was written. I think we're going to see this main idea and this main purpose play out very clearly in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if you have your notes there, you can see the main idea of Daniel is that God is in control, even in the most difficult circumstances, sustaining his followers' faith. God is in control, even in the most difficult of circumstances, sustaining his followers' faith. And the purpose for which these stories were written uh, to us is to encourage believers to live faithfully as citizens of God's kingdom. And we're going to see an example in our story this morning of three young men who certainly find themselves in a very difficult circumstance, a very dangerous circumstance, but their confidence rests in the powerful saving purposes of God. And because their faith was in the one true and living God, they could live faithfully in those difficult circumstances as citizens, not of Babylon, not a subject of King Nebuchadnezzar, faithfully as citizens of God's kingdom. So with that introduction, I want to invite you one more time, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read for us this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent and gathered All the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever! You, O King, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times, more than it usually was heated and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace was overheated, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors of the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their head was not singed and their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent an angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and who set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God." Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is true. Lord, your word is accurate. The details of this story, Lord, it's, a, it's an amazing story, but the thing that's the most amazing about it is that it's a true story. And Father, this is true and genuine faith on display for us to see, to encourage us to walk faithfully in the midst of our own trials and our own persecutions. So, Father, I pray that we would hear your word and that we would listen to it, that we would believe it and obey it today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Familiar story, wonderful story, kind of a long story, I know. Your legs are probably tired by now. <clears throat> but I hope that in this familiar story that we would have just read for you today that we will see an example of faith that will encourage our own faith today, that will challenge our own faith today. There are three things I want us to see from this story, three kind of principles that I want to pull out of this story, and that will be the three points in our sermon this morning. If you've got your notes there, you'll see the first one. The first thing we see in this story is a foolish arrogance of an idolatrous king. The foolish arrogance of an idolatrous king. You notice the story, really, there's no transition between chapter 2 and what we saw last time uh, in this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in the opening of chapter 3. Uh, it jumps straight in with, ne- with Nebuchadnezzar's response to God's revelation in chapter 2. Now, some time has probably passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but nevertheless, uh, we remember the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It had a head of gold. And God revealed through the prophet Daniel that that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. The rest of the image, you remember, was made up of different materials, varying values. And those different parts of that image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represented kingdoms that would come after and conquer Babylon until God set up his eternal kingdom through his eternal king, that kingdom would then grow to fill the entire earth. In response to this revelation from God, we see Nebuchadnezzar's response of building for himself his own very impressive image. This image stood 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It was made entirely of gold, just like the head of the last image. Nebuchadnezzar gathered every official, every governor, every civil employee from every conquered territory in the land of Babylon that was under his authority. This would have been a gathering of uh, a people of many different cultures, of different nationalities, different languages, and he brought them here to the plains of Babylon to bow down and to worship the image. That he set up. We saw that Nebuchadnezzar not only uh, he he, he issues a command here, but he also issues a threat. Uh, We've seen this before in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, rule, right? He, He commands that when the music begins, all the different kinds of music begins to play, that all the people were to bow down, to put their noses in the dirt, and to worship this glorious image of Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom. Babylon. And then comes the threat. Any person who refuses to heed the king's command and to bow down to the image of gold was to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, we see down in verse 7 of the story that almost everybody in this massive gathering of people had no qualms, they had no problem taking the king at his word. And so the band strikes up and begins to play, and everyone bows down and begins to worship this golden image. That is all but three Hebrew men. A group of Chaldeans, we've seen the Chaldeans before, this group of counselors that Nebuchadnezzar had around himself. They came forward and probably motivated out of jealousy of these young Hebrew men and how Nebuchadnezzar had promoted them quickly throughout the ranks of the people of Babylon. Uh, they, they go to the king to, uh, to tattle on these men because of their open rebellion against the king and his commands. What happens in verses 8 through 15, I hope you see, exposes the facade of the arrogance of idolatry. This whole thing's a facade all the power and the might and the threats and the glory, the impressive image that stood 90 feet tall, the whole thing's a fake. It's a facade. There are three, three ways we see the, the facade of this power that Nebuchadnezzar holds out. First, Nebuchadnezzar holds a fake trial. Right, He, he brings these men in and he asks them, Are these accusations true? Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? See, it's a facade because Nebuchadnezzar isn't really interested in the truth. He's not really interested in a conversation. He's not really open to negotiation. He just wants submission. It's not really a real trial. Second, we see that he extends fake mercy. He extends fake mercy. After, after giving the boys a good talking to, he says, now I'm going to give you a second chance. And when you hear all the music start to play and the band strikes up, if you're ready now, bow down and worship. You ready? Band, a one and a two and away we go. Play that funky music, white boy. And then we see that Nebuchadnezzar erupts in a a fake threat. You hear the audacity in Nebuchadnezzar's threat in verse 15. If you guys aren't going to bow down and worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning fire furnace. And who is the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? You hear the foolish arrogance there? What God Not Nebuchadnezzar's God. Not this golden image. Because his gods are made up. He's the one who built the God he's demanding that they worship. Did you notice that as I read through the story? Almost like machine gun fire, Daniel points out that this image is the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's not a real God. The whole thing's a facade. Friends, we, we live in a world today that is in no less rebellion against the one true and living God. The culture around us continually and increasingly commands us as Christians to bow down and worship their idols or else. Perhaps it's not an idol that's set up on the plains of Babylon, The friends, the gods of self, the gods of power, the gods of sexual freedom, they're no less audaciously rebellious against God's word than Nebuchadnezzar's image was. But I hope, friends, that you see that the power that the world threatens faithful Christians with today is nothing but a facade. The question is, that's relevant to us today is who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to obey? Will you listen to God? Or will you listen to man? Will you obey God? Or will you submit to the threats of man? Now, it might be a facade, but it's no less real. This is a scary situation for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The the flames of that furnace were real. The threats of the king, he, he, he would have really thrown them in that fire. He has every intention to. But the choice that they face is very clear. And it's the choice that every single one of us face today. Bow down and worship the idol, or listen to and believe God's first commandment even if it kills us. Brings us to point two. Point two, we see the obstinate obedience of faithful servants. The obstinate obedience of faithful servants. Verses 16 through 18 really are the heart of this story. Right? These young men make a bold stance of faith. And I think that these verses teach us a very clear lesson on what true and genuine faith in God looks like. So I want you to notice three things about these young men's response of faith. Three things that model for us the type of faith that we need today if we are going to live faithfully as strangers in a strange land. Uh, The first thing you notice there is that they know that the power of God can save them. They know that God can save them. In verse 16, we see them stand boldly before this dangerous and powerful king. They say, there is no need to answer you in this matter. We don't owe you any explanation, Nebuchadnezzar. You see, because their choice was made long before that statue was ever set up. They say, our God whom we serve is able to save us from the burning, fiery furnace. They know for sure that God is able to save them. But you notice the second thing is they don't presume upon God's answer. They know that he's able to save them, but the second thing we learn about their faith is they don't presume upon the providence of God. You see that? Even though they know God can save them from the furnace, they don't presume that God will save them from the flames. I love it. Look down in verse uh, 17. It says, If if this be so, our God is able, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of uh, your hand, O king. Verse 18. But if not. See, they know that God can save them, from the burning, fiery furnace. But they don't presume that God will save them from the burning, fiery furnace. But if not. See, friend, God's providential will is unclear to them, just as God's providence is unclear to us. And in faith, they trust in God's providential plan even if it involves them going into the flames. The third thing we see about their faith is that they hold firmly to the truth of God's word. They hold firmly to the truth of God's word. You see, the issue is a clear first and second commandment issue. God had spoken about this long before Nebuchadnezzar was even born. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, God says through Moses, God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall serve no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. These young men simply say, we will not bow down and we will not serve your gods. What a model of genuine faith. We know and we trust that God is able to save us from our enemies. But genuine faith never presumes that God will save you out of suffering. Instead, genuine faith simply obeys God's word and trusts that he will save. Let me ask you a question. What would you do in this situation? If you were with these three men, what would you have done? Maybe a better question. What will you do in this situation? What will you do? Where do you turn and how do you respond when the world around you says, bow down? Well, I hope friends, that you see that your response exposes the kind of faith that you really have. Some Christians first turn to earthly powers. Well, if we just had the right person or the right party in office, then maybe they could squash the culture's idols. Friends, I'm very thankful for godly men and women who serve in roles in government. But they're not our hope. Our faith ought not to rest on men. Perhaps your first reaction is fear and dread. What are we going to do? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, our faith ought not to be in the idol of safety we're in the idol of comfort. Worse yet, many Christians today just compromise and capitulate. Well, King Neb, I'll bow down on the inside, but I'm standing, or I'll bow down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And too many churches today have chosen that route. It never ends well. But brothers and sisters, true and genuine faith simply holds on to God's word and obeys God's revealed truth. And true faith doesn't seek to predict God's ways or to manipulate God's hands. Faith simply obeys God's commandments and trusts that he will save. Simple, straightforward, unerring obedience to the word of God. That's what holds the line. That's what holds the line. And that's the faith that we're called to have. The last several verses here put God's saving power on display. They they know that God is able to save. They're not sure that He's going to save them from the suffering that is coming their way. The last part of this story puts that saving power on display. That's that's the third point there in your notes. The saving power of the one true God. The saving power of the one true God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obstinate obedience to the Lord enrages Nebuchadnezzar. He, he commands that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. Now it's not just a burning, fiery furnace. It's a superheated, burning, fiery furnace. It's so hot, in fact, that the guards who were sent to bind these three men and throw them into the flames were killed by the heat. We're also given this detail in the story that that these young men are bound fully dressed. Did you notice that? Fully dressed in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and all their other garments. I mean, these guys are ready for a winter storm before they go into the burning, fiery furnace. Why all these details? Every detail in the story is important. Why all these details? Well, I think simply it's because Daniel is emphasizing the miracle that's about to take place. Right? It, 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 there's no explaining away God's saving power with this one. It's on display for all to see. And let's notice three things about God's salvation here. Three things about God's salvation that are still true for us today, by the way. First, God's salvation exposes them to suffering right? God's salvation doesn't doesn't save them out of the flame. It doesn't save them from being thrown into the fire. Instead, God's salvation leads them straight into the fire. They didn't have the expectation that God would save them from the furnace, but they knew that God could if he chose to. You see, God, he could have struck Nebuchadnezzar dead on the spot, He could have sent fire down from heaven to consume that golden image. But he didn't. Friends, God never says that he'll save you from suffering. But here's what he does promise. The second thing we see, here's what he does promise. God's saving presence is with us in our suffering. He doesn't promise to save you from it but he promises to save you and meet you in it. Something truly amazing happens in this story. The men go down into the flames, and they're not immediately consumed. They're, they're walking around in the fire. is watching this whole thing take place, and something even more amazing happens. He sees this mysterious fourth man with them in the flames. Now, who is that guy? That's the question is asking. He, Who is this fourth man? It's a good question to ask. It's a, it's a question that Christians and biblical scholars and preachers have debated for years. Some people say that this was an angel of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar himself says in verse 28 that God sent his angel to save them. But some people say that this fourth man is actually Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar says, the appearance of that fourth man is like the son of a God. So, perhaps, the person who met these three men in the flames was none other than a pre-incarnate manifestation of the son of God. Perhaps it was Jesus himself. The reality is, is the text doesn't really tell us very clearly. But that's okay. I I can't tell you with certainty who this fourth man was, but here's what I can say with certainty, that God was right there with them in the flames. In the same way that God does not promise to shield us from our suffering in this life, He he does promise to meet us in our suffering. And he does meet us in our suffering. Manifested in the man of Jesus, he enters into our suffering world. When Jesus was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, Jesus took upon himself human flesh. And as he lived his life, he met, every suffering that you and I face. The writer of Hebrews says that we don't serve a great high priest who cannot identify with us in our suffering, but one who entered into our suffering. And he lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. He experienced every kind of suffering that you and I experience. Friends, I don't know if it was Jesus who met these men in the flames of the burning, fiery furnace but I do know that it was Jesus who suffered in your place and in mine on the old rugged cross. Thirdly, God's saving power overcomes our suffering. God's saving power overcomes our suffering. These three men are pulled out of the fire. And not only are they alive, they don't even smell like smoke. I, I'm sure many of you have sat around a campfire before. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I can come within 100 yards of a campfire, and I've got to take a shower because it gets in your hair, it gets in your clothes, it gets everywhere. But these men were in the midst of the flames, and they don't even, even with all those clothes on, they don't even smell like smoke. It causes this, pagan, arrogant king to proclaim a truth greater than he knows. There is no God who is able to save in this way. But our God, our God saves in this way. Just as he saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames, he raised Jesus out of the grave. And that gives us every hope. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, our God has demonstrated the power to rescue you from your sin and suffering. So who can save you? Only God can save you. I love the story of Jesus in his last moments with the disciples before he was arrested and put on trial and before he goes to the cross to die in our place. He, he was teaching his disciples what life was going to be like for them after he departed, after he died and was raised, and after he ascended into heaven. He says, there's coming a time I'm no longer going to be with you. And he, he's teaching his disciples that in this time of their life when he was no longer going to be present, that, that they were going to face all kinds of betrayals, they were going to face all kinds of sufferings and hardships because of their faithful obedience to him. And he says to them in John chapter 16, he says, I'm telling these, these things to you not, not to scare you, not to make you worry. He says, I'll tell you these things so that in in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And then the promise. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And then he asks them a question. Friends, he asks them the question. And this is the question for you today. It was the question for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, It's the question for the disciples. It's the question for you today. Do you believe? Is your faith resting firmly in God's salvation through Jesus? I pray that it is today. But if it's not, know this that Christ Jesus lived a perfect life that you can never live. He died in your place for your sins. And God rose Him from the grave, so that you, through repentance and faith, can be saved in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will accept His salvation today. Let's pray.